Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Thank you so much for all of that. Um, I want to, again, acknowledge the passing of Colin Powell. Well, for those of you that may not have heard, um, hearts and prayers go out to him and his family. And of course, you could read all about that um, as usual on the Internet. Hello to Benny. Hi, Mr. Benny. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, I was a little surprised to hear that, you know, I think sometimes we think people are going to live forever. I know certainly that's sort of my view of things. I've always been a little shocked, um, when people have passed and, you know, you think about that and you have those moments where you believe they're going to live on forever. And I find that kind of odd in my own personal journey because I've lost so many family members suddenly. You know, many people get to have the experiences of their family and their moms and their dads. And, you know, they they see them go into their more wisdom years. And, you know, I've not had that experience in my life. But I do know one thing that, you know, we are here in the world to experience a level of empathy and compassion, which we've not done before. It's an opportunity for all of us, regardless of what you thought about Colin Powell's political perspective. You know, we're so far beyond that now. I hope we can all get beyond that now and start to look at each other right in the eye as human beings, you know, and not let the great divide divide our humanity. And that is my that is my greatest hope. You know, today's uh, conversation and um, Brett is, uh, I believe, is going to join us here in a minute. I hope uh, Brett Bevel's going to join us here in a minute because Brett is the author of a book called Healing Racism Within: A Lightworker's Guide. And <clears throat> this, you've heard me do a number of shows talking about some of my early experiences. And I, I should probably get this image to Olivia. I'm going to try to get this image to Olivia if I can get my hands on it quickly here to put up on Facebook. Um, but I have been talking about my history, my childhood growing up and, you know, and my experiences as well. And if you grow up kind of in a community like myself and my older sister did, and so we grow up in a community where um, you just are not aware that there's so much hate, right? I mean, you, you know, at some point in your life, you get older and something may happen, right? Where you see it or feel it. And, you know, growing up, when you grow up in a community as we did, and then my sister, of course, in Yonkers and, her door was, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about my sister for a minute, because this book is so important. Um, Healing Racism Within. I want to talk about this. And, you know, one of the things that we learn is we can learn from each other. We can. And part of what seems to happen sometimes is we sacrifice a conversation because we're afraid we're going to be politically incorrect. Right. We sacrifice that conversation because we're afraid we're going to err on the side of something or another. And, you know, and we don't have conversations that allow us to get to know. So I want to read this from the book Healing Racism Within. And I want to read this. This was um, a comment. This was a, a, um, um, 
a, a, a reference or recommendation from Iyanla Van Zant, who I've gotten to interview a number of times. Um, but, but this is what she is saying about the book. And just want to read this. From a deep place within his heart, Brent Bevel is supporting Black Americans in realizing that racism exists, not only through unjust laws and the dysfunctional systemic policies in our businesses, schools, and government, but also in ourselves, our emotions, our brains, and hearts, and the ghosts of our ancestors and the family systems we've inherited. And like other forms of disease, it can be addressed and healed if we look at the fiercely and or fierceless, if we look at it fiercely and honestly, and have the courage to act accordingly. Thank you, Brett, for this beautiful bag of tools we can use to dismantle race-based conditioning. And there, it, this is, I mean, this is a bag of tools. And when I think about this, what am I talking about? And what is Brett talking about? What is he talking about in this book? Right. And just so you know, I want to talk a little bit about who he is, right, for a minute. So Reiki master, author of several books, The Wizard's Guide to Healing Energy, The Reiki Magic Guide to Self-Attunement, Reiki for Spiritual Healing. I mean, you know, Reiki master since 1995. So, you know, when you are someone like him and you are not only understanding but enacting and practicing energy healing and energy healing, like magical awakening, it makes so much sense then to really look at what he says or he is doing. And I was, I was really fascinated. I was reading something from his website and it was, it was a recording that he did a while ago, America Needs a Woman President. And I started to read that and, and read a number of different versions of it. But most importantly, the question then becomes, what are we missing? What are we missing in the conversation about healing racism? What is totally missing? And it's really kind of interesting because It's okay to say, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know about your experience. I don't know what I don't know. And begin a dialogue. And, and really what we're talking about here is we're talking about a conversation that, that Brett talks about when he says energy healing is for everyone. And so when you say that, then why not, why not healing racism within a light worker's guide? Why not then open up the conversation? Why not get face to face or zoom to zoom, or it doesn't matter, but let's talk about this for a minute because there's a picture I'm going to try to get to Olivia to put up and it's a picture of me and my table tennis coach and I was young I was at a young age um, and we were inseparable now how does something like that even happen how do you how does that happen well I will tell you from the way we grew up and especially through my high school years I'm a graduate of Plainfield High School so y'all that want to know about Plainfield High School go google Plainfield High School in New Jersey but when I think about growing up and when I think about who we played with as kids, and then I think about my sister and my sister's choice, by the way, I will, I will tell you this is a choice. My sister's choice to live in the projects in Yonkers until she passed away. And I want to just say that when we get to the place in life where we make bold choices, despite, despite what other people will say about us, despite what the consequences may be, despite how it may look in the neighborhood or how it may look in your family. And my stepmom was a perfect, perfect, perfect champion for this. Because no matter what you would say to her, she was not going to follow suit 
by anything that was going to exclude people from the human conversation. Now, that's a big statement. But what that means is, you know, she's not, she was not going to be that person that wouldn't open her doors and invite people to an open door Thanksgiving. And it didn't matter whether you were from our culture or not, or what color of the skin you had. This was such an interesting upbringing for me, which I didn't realize till I was older. But my sister lived this. Now, what does that even mean when I think about this? And so in his book, this is the cool thing in here. This is the wound we cannot see. And, he, and, and Brett opens up this book. If you are an energy healer, there are wounds you cannot see unless you are that. You cannot see them. But when I think about his work and I think about the message of this book, this is where we have to open up the conversation and begin. We have to open up the conversation and begin. And I've talked about my sister on a number of different shows before. I've also talked about the fact that because of the way I was raised and because of the way we were raised that had very little to do with the religion that somebody had, that was never even going to be a thing. It definitely wasn't going to be a thing for my stepmom. Whether or not somebody's skin was white or a different color, whether or not you cooked with a certain type of food or not, whether or not you ate meat on Friday or you didn't, none of us really had that exposure until we were older and then it was a shock. My shock came when I was driving with my coach, Sam Hammond, from a tournament. And it was like um, one of those scenes, Benny, from that movie Green Book. Green Book, I think, was the movie. And it was like one of those scenes. And you're, you're driving from Philly back from a tournament. And you get pulled over for no reason at all. No reason at all. Not a broken headlamp. Not a, I don't know, nothing. So you have an experience like that. And you're raised like me. What do you think happens with an experience like that? Or growing up as a kid, you're walking through Central Park with your friends. And you are white, a white woman, a kid. I'm a white kid then because I was younger. And your friends are not white. And you're going through Central Park. And out of the bushes, somebody jumps out and stabs one of your friends one of the friends of color. You have to be thinking if you're somebody like us who was raised like us, you have to be thinking that it couldn't possibly be that. And it took so many years later. And then if you're my sister, Joyce, I want to just tell you how interesting my family was growing up when it comes to race. And if you're my sister, Joyce, and you are this girl from the South who finds herself in the middle of the Bronx, and your first boyfriend is from Puerto Rico, and he happens to be in a gang, and then you become, almost, you become the head of the gang. Now, why am I saying this? Because what changes in our lives? What is it that happens in our lives? How do we see people differently? Is there something that is in ourselves, just like here, that no matter how many of these situations I'm talking to you about, about my upbringing, it's still not enough. It's still not enough. There's still more healing to do. We're going to take a short break, Benny, Olivia. When we come back, 
Um, I would like to talk a little bit more about the book. I'd like to share a few things from the book. But there's so many things here to talk about. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Life can be demanding, but sometimes our wheels are spinning and we're too focused on making them turn to notice we're stuck in the mud. Tune into The Pause with me, Ellen Wyoming Deloy, every second and fourth Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio. Learn how to stop, reflect, and start moving forward with intention. And if you're really looking to jumpstart your personal development, schedule a free coaching consultation with me at ellenwyomingdeloy.com. Who taught you or your kids how to handle stress? That's right, no one. I'm combat veteran Deb Lewis. And I'm on a mission to change that. My new children's book, Why is Pono Not Pono Today, is set in Hawaii. Lovable characters, Pono the Bull and his friend Kuleana, show us how a stressful situation ends happily. Look closer to reveal powerful ways to handle all types of stress. Start loving your stress-filled life today. Go to MentallyToughWomen.com. Is your life stressful and unfulfilling? Would you like to make changes, but you don't know how? Hi, I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of the Dr. Pat Show. I'd like to recommend The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. This is a memoir with questions to help you change your story and live a life that's more pleasing to you. For more information or to purchase this fabulous book, please go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or go to CarlGreer.com. Join Jennifer Noel Taylor on the hit show, Quantum Touch Radio, supercharging your life on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You'll take a quantum journey as well as reveal powerful yet simple steps to create more abundance, better health, emotional and mental vibrancy and happier relationships using universal quantum touch principles. For more information, visit QuantumTouch.com. Did you know that each Enneagram type has a different worldview, different patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving? They also have essential qualities that are unique to their type. Understanding this helps us develop more tolerance, respect, and appreciation for ourselves and others. Renee Siegel works with individuals, couples, families, and groups using the Enneagram to build better relationships as a tool in addiction recovery. Visit urepurepotential.com for more info. Can you truly say that you know and love yourself? Corny Cottrell is an author, speaker, and 21-year active duty master chief with the U.S. Navy, here to encourage you to take back your power and live your life with intention and purpose. Tune in to Unapologetically Favored every fourth Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio. Walk in your purpose. Visit unapologeticallyfavored.com to learn more about Courtney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. It looks like our guest is not going to be joining us here today. We'll have to get him back. Um, the book is Healing Racism Within a Lightworker's Guide. And, you know, as I said before, you could go to Brett's website and take a look at um, what Brett does. And I just shared a little bit about, you know, when you're a light worker or when you're an energy healer, or anything to do with this, there is so much you quote, don't see the way we see it. And, you know, what, what, what Brett talks about is so much a part of sometimes what we go through. I think one of the things he comes out and says, he says, I refuse to acknowledge that some members of my family were alcoholics and others were even pedophiles, nor did I consider Clyde, my father's raging, hateful real estate friend who bragged to us about having killed an innocent black boy years before and was someone I hated, whose presence I dreaded to be a murderer. Yeah, like that is a lot. And when you go and you read some more of this and you, you hear what he says, and while I didn't realize the grand wizard of KKK who came to repair a television because I couldn't see, I don't want to say this, the crack of you know what while he bent over to work, I found his constant anti-Semitic commentary idiotic. It never occurred to me that my father may be a supporter of that same hateful ideology. See, this is, this is what we called ignorance. And ignorance is not a, um, an excuse for racism. 
but let's just say ignorance. You know, there are a lot of shows that we're bringing forward on the network that are really hopefully going to help us understand the word racism, because it's not just a word. Um, I want to just tell you, for me, I've seen a lot of things in my life, but that experience with Sam and that experience of being in a car or walking through Central Park and somebody jumps out of the bush and kills your friend with a knife and you don't really put it together because, you know, let me just say back then, we don't really talk about hate crimes very much. There was, it wasn't like even a thing. People of color just got killed. But you didn't even really put that together, right? You didn't really put that together. So, you know, you have a group of kids walking through Central Park, just like any group of kids. Yes, it was at night. No, we shouldn't have been walking through the park. All of those things, right, that you grow up with, never do this, never walk through here. And then we're kids because we're not going to walk around. We're going to take a shortcut through Central Park because that's just what you do. And then you watch that. And you're just, you're a kid though. So you're not part of the conversation that goes on. You go to the funeral, of course. Um, but you're not part of the conversation. You're not part of, and then your family, you know, your parents go to the funeral and they go to the, but you're not part of the conversation because you're a kid of why did that happen? At least you weren't then because racism ignorance was so rampant that it didn't even have a phrase. It didn't have a phrase, but to see it where I live now in the Pacific Northwest, to see it now, and let me just give you another version of it. There are several versions of it that I reflect back on, and, um, and that's why I was excited about this book. But denial is one of the greatest challenges we have to even having a conversation about racism. And I don't care. As much as you hear me talk about my life and all these experiences, you're, you know, am I eligible to say I'm not a racist? Are there parts of me that can say that? And this is really what we're being challenged to do. I have to tell you, thank you to the phone company for a couple things. One is they had some serious sensitivity training there back at Bell Labs and AT&T. I mean, serious sensitive. You think EST and the forum and all these places, before there was all of them, there was sensitivity training. And I remember going through my first sensitivity training class paid for by the company. It was seven days seven days. It was grueling. You know, some people said it was so far over the top and people had to take weeks off to recover from it. Why? Because in seven days, nothing was left under the stone. Not the man in the class that tried to rescue a woman after the facilitator literally took her apart to understand how this affects whether or not we can stand to be empowered as women, to conversations about race that you didn't even think were possible, to effects on how you or do not have your children play with other children or your grandchildren for that matter. And you don't really say out loud, well, I'm not really sending Johnny over there because of dot, 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 but you still don't send Johnny. It's really interesting about what we're discovering about ourselves if we plan to do it. But this day with Sam, my coach, and I didn't really understand this very much until later. It just didn't hit me, but I'm young. I wonder, I'm trying to think if I was even 21. I don't even know. And this, this man watched me play practice in a full cast because my knees were not good since I was 19. I just tore up my left knee, but he watched me play in a full cast, right? Can't move. And he walks over to me in a broken accent. And he says, what are you doing? 
like like with that you know that accent that just beautiful accent and he walks over to me and he's got this striped shirt on i gotta find this picture for olivia and he walks over to me and he says what are you doing like that like what are you doing and i just looked at him like i'm practicing he said no what are you doing and i looked at him again i said i'm practicing and he proceeded to to talk to me and say you're paraphrasing you're never going to make that shot right and he never said anything about my cast and i later found out who this man was because he got on the table next to me playing with the top person of the club teaching another kid uh muriel stern and her brother um and I watched him do this. I later found out this man was the national champion of Ghana, Africa, was from Ghana, Africa. And after we were all done, I looked at him and I said, how do I get better? And he says, well, I'll help you. That became a journey for me that lasted until I stopped playing and went back to school. But on this one day, coming back from Philly, late at night, something happened that nobody could predict. And if you saw that movie, uh, Green Book, I think it's called Green Book, Benny. If you saw that movie, there's a scene in that movie. And every time I see this scene, I play this incident over and over and over and over in my mind. And I feel every emotion from it. It is one of the rawest feelings that you could feel when you watch somebody you care for being mistreated, harmed because of the color of their skin. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what do you do? What do any of us do? And I want to say this, when I watched my friends here, my friends from China, my friends from Korea, when I watched these folks in their neighborhoods in the Pacific Northwest, in the posture, walking back from a grocery store, and some of them being beat so badly in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. It, it causes us to all hit the pause button. And is it true? Can we really heal racism within? What are we so afraid of? What were those policemen on that day that pulled us over so afraid of? Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Even though your home base is one Enneagram type, you have characteristics of all the types. Tune in to Enneagram Conversations with Renee Siegel, the second and fourth Monday of each month at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn how you can unlock your unlimited potential. Visit YouArePurePotential.com for more about Renee and her work. That's the letter U, the letter R, PurePotential.com. Have you heard about shifting the collective vibration and consciousness on the planet? Join me, Kimberly Barrett, on the Sharing Love and Light show every first and third Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at TransformationTalkRadio.com to explore the depth of vibration and consciousness on our planet and learn how you can shine your love and light. To learn more, visit SharingLoveAndLightShow.com. Can you truly say that you know and love yourself? Corny Cottrell is an author, speaker, and 21-year active duty master chief with the U.S. Navy, here to encourage you to take back your power and live your life with intention and purpose. Tune in to Unapologetically Favored every fourth Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio. Walk in your purpose. Visit unapologeticallyfavored.com to learn more about Courtney. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. 
The Power of Inspiration and Awakening Radio with Juliet Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. Learn how to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles share stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit martineemmons.com and make your appointment today. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Um, You know, one of the things I was saying is really struck by, and I'm really proud of our network. You know, we're bringing powerful, powerful conversation, you know, to the forefront on so many things. Uh, And one of them is something I hadn't really imagined uh, early on for a network, but clearly, you know, the conversation that has to do with how we create a level playing field. And what does that mean? You know, how do we do that? And I was sharing a story about Sam Hammond, and I'm going to put the image up here. I think Jacob said he would be able to, um, to really show it to you. Uh, for those of you that heard me talk about Sam the other day, I didn't have that, the image readily available to me. Um, and I just put up, put up a really bad copy of that image. Um, but one of the things that happens along the way is you learn lessons by reading about them. You learn lessons by hearing about them. You certainly learn things from your folks when you grow up, but there's nothing more powerful that I think you learn than to have a life experience about something. And, you know, one of the things that I was really struck by, and, you know, I want to read this from the book, it says, raising your voice in more ways than one. It says, white silence on the issue of racism is a big reason why it's been so hard to create long and lasting change. White silence. Um, The inability of whole segments of populations to speak about police brutality when this brutality includes murder, sometimes even caught on film, is insane. You can help end that silence by bringing your voice to protest by speaking to family and friends about issues related to ones like the mass incarceration of Blacks. Know that the power of your voice creates change each time you use it. The power, however, is more than just communicating your position to others. The sound of the human voice can also bring healing to the body and psyche. Sound healing techniques have been been helpful for many of their own healing process. You know, one of the things that, and this is, this is, by the way, for those of you out there, this is from the book Healing Racism Within. Um, sometimes you can't help yourself. Sometimes you can't. And, you know, and sometimes you don't realize the impact of things. And I will tell you, you know, like on a night like that, when we're driving in a car and there was my, it was two of us and two people in the back and you're driving in a car. And I think Jacob has the picture of Sam that he's going to put up on Facebook. And so if you take a look at that picture, yes, that, that person, you look at the mug of the person in that picture, that's me. That's, that's like that expression on my face. That was my game. That's my game face. But when you grow up like I did, and then you go through the generations and the decade we went through, protesting was an understatement for a lot of us. You know, protesting and being on the streets and marching for all sorts of things, it was a way of life. It was a way to have a voice. 
it was a way to say something is wrong here. And I remember this, you know, as a young person, but then I remember again, you know, in the 80s when living on the East Coast and honestly, you couldn't get a conversation with Mayor Koch around men in the gay community dying from AIDS. I mean, there could not be a conversation about that, you know, protest after protest. But to experience what happens when you get pulled over by the police and you are a white woman, a young woman, very young, if you look at that picture, in a car with people of color. And Sam was a man from Africa and he was my coach and we were inseparable. And so if you take that scene out of that green book movie, the scene where they get pulled over for what? No other reason but what? There is a, a, a Black person in the car or a person of color in the car. Because in that car, we had Sam. We had another player from the Dominican Republic. Clearly. Basically, I was the only white person in the car. Yeah. And when I think about that night, and I have to tell you, honestly, I have tried to block it out for a lot of years, but it's really hard to block out. And you watch what happens to this. And you see people you care about being thrown on the ground or being thrown up against the car. So imagine what happens when every animalistic version of who you are kicks in. And you decide you're not going to let that happen. See, because I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better growing up. I, I was, you know, there was a reason my family kicked me out at 17 years old. There was something about my spirit that just wasn't going to let that happen. And I'm, I'm still like that today, except I have found other ways to do it. And I'll never forget that night. Because I made the situation worse, and I didn't know it. I made it worse, and I didn't know it. And, you know, it's interesting when I think back at that, and all of us getting hauled off. Um, I didn't realize I was making the situation worse. Because I think sometimes when you talk about this, when you read from the book, Raising Your Voice in More Ways Than One, when you read from this chapter, um, and then you talk about how you can heal some of these things in a holistic way, it, it kind of connects the dots. Because I think for the people that I know and the people that are my friends in the world today, there isn't a single one of us that would have allowed that situation to happen, not then and not now. This is the conversation I think that's so hard to have, even knowing that about me, even knowing what my sister was like, my sister, my sister did not know color. She lived in, in a place of Yonkers and she was the only white person in that project the only one and her door was always open always open and when you would go there and you'd go up the door would be open there'd be food people would walk in and out up and down the stairs when my sister passed away her her children got a church for her funeral service, which was way too small because people were wrapped around full blocks to come see my sister. And if I only had just a small amount of her love and compassion, I just wondered what, what, what kind of person I'd be. I just wondered what I'd be. How do you know that she didn't see color. Well, you probably see it by who she married, or you probably see it by who her children married, right? Or you probably see it by the fact it was never an issue, or you probably see it by what she did in the outside world 
to be that person that would stand out and be vocal. You probably see it across the board, but you'd also see it by the fact that her door in a project that was so dangerous that when I came, there was a cone in a parking spot for me. And when I came to visit her in my ridiculous out of place sports car, three guys would come down to meet me and they would lift the cone and I would park there and they would put a very special sign on my car, meaning you touch this car, you're dead pretty much. This, this, is, this is a neighborhood that my sister lived in and loved it. And it was an amazing, amazing experience to have and be in my sister's home where color and race were not a conversation. People speaking languages that you couldn't barely understood, although Spanish, we, we did learn Spanish, a little bit Spanish. But I was greeted by these three men and walked up to her apartment and her door was open and unlocked. Can you imagine that? Her door was open and unlocked and there was food everywhere, food everywhere. Anybody that walked in there, it didn't matter if she knew them or didn't know them. It didn't matter what walk of life you were for. It didn't matter if you had a job, didn't have a job. It didn't, none of that mattered. They were greeted by my sister with nothing but love. And I think about that today. And I think about Sam today. And I think about those times that we grew up. And I always ask myself this question. Is there more? that I can do today. I mean, is it enough to be aware, but be inactive? See, this is really tricky, isn't it? This is really the question about racism or about inequality. You know, when <clears throat> all you have to do is experience something like a stonewall to realize that you are just really on the edge of being an activist for your entire life. You just don't, you just like run on the edge. There's something about it. Or that you watch the horrific treatment, George Floyd. You just watch that. How quickly did we forget that? Hello? Hello? How quickly? You know, how quickly did we forget Black Lives Matter? How quickly did we forget the beating and the strapping of Shepard to a fence because he was a gay man. How quickly can you forget your table tennis friend walking down the street from a grocery store and getting beat, right? I mean, who, who beats a 65-year-old woman? I mean, who, what is the level of hate that racism we're not talking about? What is that? So healing racism within We have to shape shift, as Brett talks about. We have to shape shift our culture into what he calls a unity consciousness. See, I, I love that he's talking about this. I love that he's talking about this. And he's talking about how you can be part of some of the amazing tribal rituals that go on where shape shifting actually happens. But I will tell you this. It's like those movies that you watch where the lawyer, the white lawyer guy defends, you know, Samuel L. Jackson in the movie. And, you know, it's like that movie, Matthew McConaughey and Samuel L. Jackson in that movie. I don't remember the name of the movie, but, you know, there's a line in that movie in the jail cell where there's a confrontation between the two of them. And Samuel L. Jackson says something like, we're not friends. Do your children play with my children? Has my family been invited to your family's house? Have you come to ours? 
And see, this is really the underpinnings of what we're talking about here. You know, are we willing to look at racism from afar or are we willing to take a look, as Brett says, take a look at it from within? Is this a part of our culture that we don't want to look at? Is this a part of something that has been so insidious for so long that we are all, as he talks about, in denial of what has been in front of us, in denial of things that have been so hard for us to face, you know, in denial of the fact that you think you're walking through Central Park with a group of people and it is just coincidence that the darkest person in the group gets knifed. Is that really coincidence? Is that, you know, is that the story that I can tell myself for years and years and years? You know, is, is there something that we can learn or do differently? I'll tell you what I wonder. It's Kamala Harris's birthday. It's coming up on her birthday. I just wonder how systemic all of this is. That you can get a powerful woman both East Indian and African-American woman in the second highest position in the country and have her become invisible. See, I wonder about that. I wonder about that. And I, I, I wonder about that to the point where I've, I don't know what to do about it. I've tried calling her office. You ever try to call any of your governor offices people? Have you anybody ever tried? You know, like they say, call your congressperson or call your senator. Good luck with that. If I get one more voice machine from Patty Murray, I don't know what I'm going to do. But you can get some Congress people and you can get their staff. And you can call and you can ask. See, we think we can't do something. But we really can. Can you post on social media? Can you do things like that? You can. You know, it's interesting. There are some offices that I can call, some Congress people, and they'll ask you where you're from, and you clearly are not from there. And a lot of times what will happen is, they will send you to your own senator or Congress people or whoever you want to go to. But a lot of times they'll listen to you. And a lot of times they'll hear you. And I just want to ask, am I the only one that is seeing the invisibility of what the world might see as one of the most powerful women on the planet? who is second to only the president. And is that okay with everybody? Is that okay? You know, the question really, though, for me, and many of you, and if you want to read this book right here, right, that book right there, and you kind of go through it. And then you get to the part of the book, which I didn't expect. And this is the part that helps you shift. It's the healing power of gratitude. And when I start to think about how grateful I am, that we actually live in a place where I can even have a conversation like this, although I don't know if YouTube or Facebook will, maybe I said something, somebody will say something they don't like. That's a whole different story. But can we express multicultural gratitude? Multicultural gratitude. Here's the deal. I want to read what Brett says, right, about this. The healing power of gratitude. Gratitude rewires the brain. Scientific studies show this. Happiness researchers know this. If gratitude can rewire the brain for personal happiness, then why not use it to change social programming conditioning on race? All right, where's he going with this? 
He then goes on to say, it was when I was exposed to other cultures and began to appreciate them in my own negative racial bias began to change into gratitude and appreciation. And boy, is he right on with that. Is he right on with that? It, it was when I was exposed to other cultures and began to appreciate them in my own negative racial bias began to change into gratitude and appreciation. Boy, can't we all learn from that? Can't we all learn from that? Practice offering gratitude for individuals or cultural attributes beyond your own, even if it means starting small. Start with the phrase, I am grateful for, and then fill it in the blank and fill in the blank. Make it a practice to say things which are grateful out loud, even if you can only speak in a semi-audible whisper. It might sound something like this. I am grateful for the music of Richie Havens, especially his song Freedom. I am grateful for the poetry of Aja Monet and the truth of her words. I'm grateful for the wonder of Zuni poetry or pottery I used to see in the windows of shops in New Mexico when I was child. I am grateful for Navajo fry bread, especially when it's covered in honey. I'm actually grateful for that too. I'm actually grateful for the friendship of friend Niku. I'm grateful for the gift of African drumming and the way it brings me to an alpha state of consciousness so easily. I'm grateful for those Mexican and South American immigrants who work in the fields under harsh and unusual, unfair conditions, harvesting the fruit and vegetables I eat each day. And let me just comment on that. When I went to school at Claremont, one of the things we had to do was experience strawberry picking in the fields. There is a reason that white people don't do those jobs. That's just me saying it. The average life of a strawberry picker is like 44. Spend a half a day strawberry picking, and then you have to pay for every strawberry you've ruined. And you will have an appreciation for the gifts, the talents, and the hard work that the people in the fields, the people in the fields do for us. I'm grateful for the beautiful colors of Indian and Bengali's sari in the shop windows near Roosevelt area in Queens, New York. I'm grateful for the wonderful smiles of Balinese people each time I visit Bali. I'm grateful for the courage of William, like Bell Hooks and So You're the Truth. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, and how even as a man, reading about them makes me feel like a better person. I'm grateful for the Yuriko Nation and the traditions which were so important in the writing of the United States Constitution. I'm grateful. Um, I, I mean, he goes on. I'm grateful for the Hindu practice of kirtan and singing divine names. I'm grateful for the wonder of Balinese art. I'm grateful for Thai yoga. I'm grateful for the speeches of Martin Luther King and his commitment for justice of all. I'm grateful to the bright poetic mind of Muhammad Ali and the influence he had on sports and culture activists during my childhood. See, see what he's done? He's now saying, can you do this? Will you do this? Will you do it? in the silence of your own space. And he says, this simple exercise in cultural gratitude is like a muscle. And the more you use it, the more it will grow the wide lens of your own perceptions and appreciation. I'm grateful for having known San Hammond, for having him be my friend. I'm grateful for understanding his culture. I'm grateful for knowing that his mother was a phenomenal successful entrepreneur. I'm grateful that he was able to look at me not as a person that is white and me look at him not as a person of color and that our friendship transcended all of that. I'm grateful he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I'm grateful that I learned so much from him, not just about the sport, not just about becoming a champion, but about becoming a better person because that's what Sam Hammond was, a better person. I'm grateful for all of the people that invited us to contribute to the music video with John Legend and Tata Prince. And I'm grateful for all of you for tuning us in and turning us on. We'll see you next time.